0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastor. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it is the turn of the singer, Ruetta, who is, um, well, in the band, the Happy Mondays, and also has worked with a million other people. Well, I'll be exaggerated, but has worked with people like Peter Hook and The Light, plus Todd Terry, and her vocal has appeared on a lot of dance stuff. Anyway, this is the interview, and after quite a lot of um, casual chat, as you do, uh, we got down to that other important point. Yes, the early influences, the formative years that shapes a person, and uh, yeah, after making my comments about life, which you don't need to hear, Rowetta replied, this is it. Over to you.
1: Well, early with music, it would have been because we didn't have um, like a gramophone record player or a proper record player. But my dad, who was from Nigeria, he, he left when probably when I was about two. But there was this thing left, um, a little record player that played just seven inches. And so he had a collection of seven inches, which I discovered when at whatever age I would have been, probably about seven. And so I used to play music, his singles, on this little bush it was. It was by a brand called Bush, and you'd slide the seven-inch in, and it was It was portable, a portable little record player. And I carried it everywhere with me and with his records. But his records were a bit sort of calypso-y, and there was one... Um, Dr Kitch by Lord Kitchener I think he's called um, and it was a bit rude I put it in she pulled it out I put it back and it was all um, about this needle that was too big to go in and I would walk around at seven playing that over and over again because it right reminded me of my dad and it was a, it was a bit naughty really but it was quite a funny a funny record but yes. that's um, that's the record I would have played the most and um My Boy Lollipop by Millie I remember I had that um and not a lot else really. I did used to play the same songs and read the same books over and over again. It was one of them. And then probably I don't know what age I would have started watching Top of the Pops. I didn't have a big interest in music. My mum didn't have this great record collection. And then I, it was punk that got me. And that was wouldn't have been until I was about thirteen. The Sex Pistols. I would have thought seventy six. Blimey. And uh, maybe maybe it was, was it was that, I must have been ten. Was it? I'm born in sixty six. I can't remember what year, but I remember it was, by the time I was about 12, I would go to punk discos and um, wow. Rochdale College. And yeah, and a lot of my friends went into it. A lot of my friends were rockers actually at Berry Grammar. But yeah, I just it was when I saw the Sex Pistols on television and Tony Wilson said they're the greatest band in the world. And I just really related to them. And then um, probably a couple of years later, a band called Crass, which nobody was into. Um, that I knew apart from just one punk lad who looked a little bit like Sid Fishers. And so I really liked Crass and Stations of the Crass and used to play Mother all the time. I really related to the lyrics. And God, that's yeah, amazing. So- yeah, so it's really strange. That's why I never really wanted to be a singer or anything because my voice wouldn't really have been right for the sort of bands that I liked. I really liked punk, but I didn't have um, a wide range of um, punk records or anything. I liked what I liked. I liked The Clash. Um, I liked The Sex Pistols. I liked Crass um, a lot, but I didn't. Um, I, I wasn't obsessed with anybody in particular. I just yes. really fancied Sid Vicious. Um, I really loved Mother. Um Mother, mother, Myra Hindley's on the cover, you're very own sweet auntie, mother. Like, I, I would sing that rather than sing a song that might suit my voice when I was little. And yes. um, I would always wear um, t- crass t-shirts and there's a t-shirt by the pop group with We're All Prostitutes on, which I used to wear all the time. So yeah, it's, um, when I was like a young teen, I, I was into definitely punk and yeah, and that, they'd be the clubs I'd go to dance to. So I wasn't—I wasn't like my friends would watch Top of the Pops and want to be in Pants People or Legs and Coat or. No. My steps I remember my stepsister loved T Rex, um, and I just loved. I loved when Gloria joined T Rex and added something, and that's when I started to think about singing um, in What's a that band. Gloria really. Jones? Yeah, and when people say, "Oh, and um, what made you want to sing with the Mondays? Well, I'm into punk. And I really thought when I saw the Mondays, I could do what Gloria did to T-Rex. I could do that with these. So yes. that's how that happened. So, um, yeah, so.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because Crass is, is kind of, I must admit, you know, even though I've done interviews with Penny uh, Rambo and also Steve Ignorant, ignorant I still, yeah. you know, listen to that music now. It's, it's quite brutal and for a young person's ear, that is yeah. it's quite extreme, isn't I'll it? I'll tell
1: you what it was. There was um, it's that song when he said Myra Hindley's on the cover. She'd been on the cover of the, I think it was the Daily Star. It just hit me. I remembered seeing her on the front of the cover, on the front of this newspaper, and it was the fame part that really hit me. That people had started to want to be famous and want to be in papers. And I read um, an article. I read read a lot of serial killer uh, biographies, and people wanting the fame. And, and being a serial killer for some people that did it, you know, and they became more famous than film stars. And it was just really interesting. And people like that were obsessed with Hitler, regardless of what he'd done, and how bad he was. It's just, it was so famous. And so it's like, what do you have to do to be famous? And it was just, it was horrible. and It made me hate the fame part of it. But this particular record, when it said, Myra Hinder's on the cover, your very own sweet auntie mother, but she's on the front of the star. Isn't that the place you wish you were? When I was a kid, I was like, I don't want to be famous like that. I don't want to be famous in any way. You want to find what your talent is. You want to um, do that. But when people would say, oh, you've got a lovely voice. Don't you want to do this? Or you should be on television or you should be singing this. That never appealed to me. Nothing ever struck with me because I didn't, care about the fame or the money or anything like that I just like being happy and doing what I wanted I love the freedom I love the whole idea of being punk and wearing what you want and being individual and singing as you wanted and not um doing anything routiney. and I know I didn't really go to school anymore as you should have done I just I was a proper live the punk lifestyle as a kid and really it's because my mum wasn't there very much to be honest and um Because really, with your parents there, you can't live the life I led. But I just didn't really go home at any particular time, didn't go to school if I didn't want to. And I was at a really good school. Yeah. So, yes, it's just rebelling, really.
0: And did your, did you, you know, because your parents, you know, came from two different cultures and, you know, religions, I guess. Did you, did that play much of a part in your life or did that just bypass you completely? Not
1: really. My my mum was Jewish, born Jewish, but not religious. And then she fell in love at a wedding. Um, My dad just came to for university in Manchester and then he went back and you know I wasn't bitter about it and but it just I just didn't feel like I had real parents you know I love my mum and everything but um she was very much oh, I've got a new boyfriend who doesn't like children so see you on Monday you know <laughs> to be honest and oh. um, it's a little bit like that yeah it's just it's just and I didn't really mind because I was quite I was quite old from age when I look back it didn't really help me but
0: okay um, no I mean, did, yeah. you, did you ever, because obviously, I mean, I have to confess, I was a huge Smiths fan in the 80s. So Manchester started to have this kind of great sort of, you know, thing. Plus, I love those kitchen sink dramas of the 50s, you know, with, you know, Saturday Night, Sunday Morning, Taste of Honey and um, yeah the loneliness of a long distance runner so all that kind of grim northernness northern kind of thing because I come from the east down in Norwich land so it's all very country oh
1: dear no joking
0: (laughs) I know we're very backward I mean punk really did not come to Norwich for a long time so uh, I only know
1: Norwich because I'm a United fan and we like beating you but no yellow and green canaries I do know that well
0: yes and during and so football during the 70s because bizarrely God, I was never going to ever mention this. But I became a huge Man United fan in the very early 70s because... A lot of, of
1: Norwich people do. Yeah.
0: Well, it was interesting because I hung out with my brother, who I worshipped, who was seven years old, and he had a friend called Jenny Rustard, who I, you know, I was about six or seven, who I fancied. And, I, and she said, I like George Best Man United. And I thought... Right, I better also oh. like George Best and Man United. Didn't realise Man United were utterly rubbish and got relegated the second year. But that was my first love, so I kind of stuck with them through the Tommy Docherty years and you know, oh, Steven, know. Steve copple and Gordon Gordon Hill and Stuart Pearson so all that football culture thing. So Manchester oh. always had that kind of. I was always a bit obsessed with the red and white, and you know. Yeah,
1: well, George Best was amazing, though. You know, he was amazing. So we, yeah, you know, we obviously,
0: was... if you come from a different place, you kind of glorify an area. So Manchester did always. Have have that and then the Smiths appeared and all these songs that Morrissey had about Manchester and stuff like that and and they sort of and obviously he also glorified about the the Uh, brothers, twins, didn't he as well?
1: Well, I don't know. Do you know the Smiths? I mean, I've worked with Andy Rock. We've written together quite a lot as well, and I, I know Johnny Marr well. And and um, it's it's really weird. The Smiths I, the, and I know um, Morris is a great performer melodically. I've never been into his melodies. Don't know. Please, Smiths fans, don't kill me because I love the music of the Smiths, and obviously the lyrics are great. But his his melodies, they seem to be better when he left the Smiths, to be honest. They're very, very samey for a singer. You know, if you're into singing and, and melodies, the melodies are like, well, How Ian Curtis, his melodies and his lyrics are really brilliant. I mean, completely, really intricate mel- melodies. Amazing to sing. Where Morrissey, just for me as a singer, his melodies are quite same quite monotonous the actual melodies so it that would that did put me off a little bit but obviously when any Smith tunes came on the dance floors would fill up but you wouldn't find me on the dance floor but i'm i am friends with (laughs) <laughs>
0: a couple of them good one yeah so so the 80s was a fascinating period wasn't it because there was a lot of unemployment at that stage uh, period and and sort of like if you were young and you weren't sort of part of the the kind of Tory right you felt very out of it and sort of rejected and a lot of people went unemployed so there was a lot of bands I've interviewed who basically were like okay we'll just be unemployed you know James the job seekers allowance or enterprise allowance schemes you know just get your money you know just get drunk a lot have a good time
1: no but, for me for me I left school in. 1982 I met my ex-husband I was with him for five years had two children I was in a bastard wives home by the time I was 21 so those five years from 82 to 87 I really had a really terrible time um I brought had my children but um I was in a very violent marriage so that was my 80s it wasn't really anything to do with me I didn't really have a musical anything no
0: that was that was that was probably anything
1: yeah, was, I thought it was the end of my life in 1982. I left school and yeah, and that was it. But um, but because because I had children, um, I ended up going in a women's aid refuge when I was 21, and not even thinking about music. And I left my home with nothing at all, no clothes, no baby photos, no nothing, and started again. And so it took me a, a little while, and and then um. Yeah, I think it was probably 88 before I did any singing. Just happened to sing on a song and somebody heard me and ended up singing on a record. And then happened to see Happy Mondays on a TV show. and thought, oh, wow, that's the band for me. And then just honestly just followed them for six months. I would fo- drop the kids off at school and go and sit in their office. Yeah, uh, The manager's office and made it my thing that I would sing with them one day. Um, and yeah. That was all I wanted to do, um, you know, and just bring up my kids. And that's what I did.
0: Because in the kind of, I remember the eighties period in the other sense of there was a, there was a lot of you know the, the feminist movement was rising there was a lot of kind of women's centres and reclaim the night marches, as well as things like Greenham. So did did that period as you sort of like was it 87, 88 when you were in that uh, the women's yeah refuge? As, as,
1: yeah and, and the the people who ran the refuge they would they would get me to come to um, meetings and walks but really I just wanted to live um, I, would, I just I was happy to be surviving. Um, I mean, I'd go and do a walk with them for somebody who was um, a refugee, really, and I'd be holding a big banner. And then he, I'm not I don't really like walking. I didn't even know what I was walking for. Um, I, I think these other ways of doing it, you know, some people like. Um, protesting and going standing in you know in crowds and doing it that way i don't um i quite often wear a lot of t-shirts with a big statement on um i'm very good on social media now but back then i honestly i'd only just got out of um, a really bad life i had to just survive and as well with me i'm i was totally looking behind my back making sure my husband didn't find me to be honest and trying to make it as well so um i yeah, all that I'm sure I was just looking I mean, I didn't speak for five years properly. So I didn't watch TV a lot, I didn't read a lot of papers. I just got on with life and read books and just tried to work on myself and work on um yeah, making a career for myself, making a life for myself, a new life and you know, and finding somewhere that I could feel safe in because when you come out of a refuge you have to leave where you live and start again and that's what I did. I mean I lived I do live in Manchester, but I did leave the particular place that I left, the area I left, I left completely.
0: Right, nice. that is horrendous, isn't it? And it is you, awful
1: when you've got children as well and making sure they're all right and that, you know, inviting particular friends around, but making sure that the friends don't go home and say where I live and stuff. It's hard. Yes,
0: Jesus Christ, that's horrendous, actually. God, that's horrendous. And how did, you, how did your mother cope, you know, having to see her daughter kind of in that situation? Well,
1: my mum, she was really good, really, because um, she drove and I didn't. And she would literally, wherever I moved, she would move around the corner. And she would visit me every day in the Women's Aid Refuge, bring me everything I needed, do my washing, the kids washing and stuff. Um, she became really, really important to me because I couldn't tell anybody where I was. She was yes. there for me. And she lives around the corner from me now. She's always, whenever I've moved over the last few years, in the last, well, since I left my ex husband, she's moved with me because I'm, I, I was rehoused and he found me. So I had to move again and my mum moved round the corner again with me. So, yes. um, yeah, I'm very lucky and babysat for me all the time because I did like to go out a lot, especially when I joined the Mondays. I went out a lot. So, um, yeah, my mum used to babysit because I wouldn't leave the kids with anybody else. So
0: Yeah. Cause, uh, so did you, start, did you say you started singing for the Mondays kind of in the late 80s? It was
1: 1990, March 1990, but I'd already sung a little bit. I'd sung when I was at school, I sang. I only stopped singing when I was with my ex-husband at 16. I'd won a few talent competitions, so I started singing probably seriously at 12 I won a talent competition then I just kept winning talent competitions and started doing clubs and things in Manchester which is where I got a lot of confidence going on stage because um I, I used people just used to cry when I was I'd sing for good reasons and <laughs> you never know, sometimes I'd just get up for a laugh and then people would yes. genuinely have goosebumps and, and I didn't realize it. and that effect that you give people is amazing and you know that's that's the, just the best buzz that's what I miss now you know not going on stage and um, right at it is because every every week every day sometimes when we're on tour I'm making people giving, having this effect on people and it's it's amazing it's it's just so special I mean not everyone's gonna love your voice but the amount of people that say I do something to them when I sing and they really feel what I'm singing that's important to me because I, I try not to sing songs with no meaning or you know like or things that I don't believe in yes. um, um, and I just like to sing with uh, with all emotion, uh, full emotion and that's all it's been to me, it's more emotional I've never had singing lessons or anything or taken it as serious as I should have done um, I stopped smoking seven years ago because I knew I had to uh, to keep my voice good but apart from that, I'd hammered the whiskey and I'd hammered cigarettes for years um, and gone to parties and had loads of late nights but then I just thought, you know what, um, my voice is a gift and I have to look after it so I'd uh, just given up smoking and tried to sleep a bit more than I used to.
0: Yes. Well, it's interesting because a few artists I've uh, spoke to who are singers suddenly had those moments where they thought, well, but one even said that, he, you know, I think his uncle who'd been in the band said, look, you, you know, when you write songs in the future, you're going to have to put breaks in them so you can rest your voice because otherwise you're not going to have a voice in five years' time and that's your
1: life. It's just when we were doing... Because, like, the Happy Mondays, luckily, we're still going. And when you get a long tour... Um, I don't go to bed early when I'm out with beds. A lot of the bands now, they've settled down and they go to bed early. I still like to stay up and party. But as long as people, when people are still smoking everywhere, now they don't the same way and you're up all night. I was realising my voice is just tired all the time and I'm a chain smoker when I smoke and I love it. So if I can find a way to stop smoking, I will. And I just had neuro acupuncture and stops like that. Uh, seven years ago and because as I've just really really just thought if there's a way to do it I will because I don't want to stop I love smoking but um, I hate the idea of being addicted to anything and there was only cigarettes left so yeah I'm not I'm not an addict so I, I can drink whiskey but I just don't stay up all night drinking it anymore
0: that's good. Because I remember the first time I come across the Mondays because I was a, a big John Peel fan, and he he had a John uh, a Monday session, and there was twenty four yeah. hour party people that I heard and thought, God, that's good. And then I got the album Bund, because it was yeah. kind of everyone said this was the album of the year, and it was all very exciting. Fantastic. But then you know, and it was like a lot of bands, you thought, oh yeah, that's great. They'll never you know, won't, won't probably see them after that first or second album. And then suddenly they hit the goal they, they hit the sort of jackpot, don't they? With that, the you know, the the, uh, they, the got they got me,
1: they got me, see. You no, applaud, no, you do you know? Do you know? Everything came together. Paul Oakenfold and Steve Osborne, and um, doing this particular tune that everybody liked. It was the only cover they'd done up to then. Step on. But when you have a hit, as you know, um, things can go from <laughs> one minute. I, when I wanted to join them, more of a cult band, more of a punk yes. type band, and then all of a sudden. When I joined, I probably, I probably would have preferred them with bummed, uh, when I, having heard them for the first time myself, because I'm more of a punk. But it's completely more commercial having somebody like me. And as as same with T Rex, it was the same. When you heard Gloria's voice, it makes all of a sudden girls start singing along more, you know. And Girls start finding the band more attractive, and you're in you're in different kinds of magazines. We started to be in smash hits when I joined. We start to do tours in different kinds of venues. When you have the and doing television shows that are more poppy, that the Mondays might not have been invited to do. So mm-hmm. you can just have a couple a hit here. I think um, in America it was more kinky afro, and we're doing Rock in Rio with people like Prince and George Michael and Guns and Roses, and because of the of the back of having these you know, a couple of big hits and Pills and Thrills and Belly aches doing so well. So, um, you know, it's great. As But as I always used to say to people, make sure you listen to the other stuff as well. You know, and I've toured with the Mondays doing the the album Bummed and um, where I've my bits, but not overdone it. And I love singing on the Bummed album when yes. we recreated it on tour. So it's fantastic. But um yeah, it's... It's not everybody's cup of tea, though, and a of everybody listens to lyrics. A lot of people need that instant hit of, um, you know, melodies and catchiness, um, which the Pills and Drills gives to a lot of people.
0: Um, yes, it does. So yeah, it's, um, so it's, it it's,
1: it's all good because it's either been this fantastic band that not everybody's heard or wants to, and you're a cult band, which I love them like that. But I love the fact now that we're still going 30 years later because these songs it did. You do have to hit somewhere where everyone goes, oh, everyone's talking about you, and you know, and when they're not like a pretty boy band. So it can go either way, you know, to yeah. me. And it's like, but I think that's why a lot of lads like them because they'd look at the Mondays and go, they're just like us, you know, and they swear like us and they make mistakes all the time. And um, there was a couple of addicts in there, you know, and I love the fact that everybody's overcome their addictions in within the band, whatever it was. and said mine was smoking more than anything, but yeah, it would, um, I don't know. It's like, I just when We're together now, it's a very much more sober band and it's brilliant. Yeah, well, uh, you, have, you have to be in your 50s, I think. I don't think you can keep going. Me and Bez still do because we're not addicted. And then um, I think like Bez used to be addicted to weed and managed to give that up. So, um, so it was like I remember him saying as well, I'll give up smoking weed if you give up smoking cigarettes. And now we've both done it and we're much more healthier for it. And you know, and um he's certainly his, his mind's a lot clearer, definitely. Yes. So just
0: on a, on a sort of a bit that's, uh, that's slightly, because you, you, just going back slightly on that, because you said you you'd sort of had to sort of um, go in the refuge and, and yeah. sort of hide and move around a lot. So how, how did you then sort of become one of the most kind of, um, uh, yes, on stage and, and sort of recognisable people, or probably in Manchester, if not in but the it's, pop world?
1: It's re- it was really, really difficult at first. I wouldn't be on any photographs. Um, I'd, I'd say to the security, if, if any black man that you don't know tries to get backstage, Please don't let them come backstage. There was no the social. There was no cameras or camera phones then. Those so that was a lot easier. So you didn't have any pictures taken in the dressing room or backstage. Promotion of an event wasn't as you know. You couldn't see instantly where the Mondays were playing tomorrow. You know, and right. so and also my ex-husband was in prison quite a lot for various things. But the fear all the time was terrible. It was a big risk for me, and my kids were at school. So I would I didn't want to do. I certainly wouldn't do anything that. That was um, any big interviews in newspapers or anything, and I still I'm still a bit funny about where exactly I live and things like that, and having pictures of my street. It's a lot harder now because of all the camera phones and social media. But I'm still, even all these years later, thirty something years later, and my kids are grown now. I'm still I still like to make sure of my privacy because it's there in the back of you, even though I'm not in fear anymore. But um, yeah, it's when the kids left school I became a lot braver and. Started to have pictures taken, and realised as well that if I kept saying no, I don't want to be on this picture, and I don't want you to mention my name, you you know, it's people. I will just die unknown, basically, you know, and I won't get to do the other things I want to do. I don't just want to sing with the Mondays. I write as well. I like working with other people, and the fact that. And I thought I'm not going to let this marriage that I had years ago stop me doing what I want to do. I'm not a massively ambitious person. But I, I have been sampled a lot and not not um, had the recognition and yes. nobody's acknowledged to it. Isn't it really annoys me? And I never pushed about that because I was in hiding in a way. And then as I've got older and I'm now, I tell everyone where I'm playing tomorrow night because I don't live in that fear anymore. And you know, and the world has changed. And it was all a long time ago. I left my ex-husband um, in when I was 21, so in 1987. So. In two thousand and twenty i can 't be worrying about that, and i 'm sure he 's not bothered anyway where I am. Yes. Um, my kids are in the thirties, so i can 't live like that and i don 't live like that but um yeah it 's just i want now i want I just want everyone to know my voice and put connect my voice to to my name. remember who I am because i 'm not a backing singer from any band um, i don 't do backing singing I, if i If I do any backing vocals for anyone it 's used as a favor like Mick Jagger did on your so Vain. Um, or because I want to. Um, it's it's the truth. Luther Vandross did backing vocals, but he's not a backing vocalist. Yes. And they have a really they have a really bad habit. Um, the media of saying about black singers they are backing vocalists, and they don't say it about Fergie from uh, Fergie from the Black Eyed or the girl from Scissor Sisters, they call people by the names to Lisa from Ndubs. So it's been my mission over the last few years. If anybody interviews me and says, I'm backing singer, I just say blacking singer, because you're really making yourself sound bad, because I do not stand at the back. It's like calling Bez a backing dancer. There's no need to call people a backing anything anyway. I've got a really good voice, and that's it, I'm a singer.
0: Yes, well, absolutely. Yeah. So, look, as we truck through the 90s, you know, obviously everything's going terribly well. I mean, I mean, bizarrely, you had that, first, well, the first album, you know, but that was still kind of quite a cultish band. I remember it wasn't big, but obviously you hit the sort of jackpot with with Pills. And then you have the sort of interest in the follow up album, which is Yes, Please, which is quite well documented. Now, there's a song on that album, which I still think is absolutely brilliant which is kind of uh, sunshine and love can you remember oh. recording that song
1: yes i do because well the whole album really um, everybody hears about these stories about barbados and it all going wrong with tina weymouth and chris france who i love by the way from talking heads they're just amazing people and amazing musicians um but when they went to, to barbados they didn't get any vocals done so i never went over it was all a big mess and it's very uh, it's, it's mentioned a lot that They were selling furniture for drugs and all things like this at Eddie Grant's studio. So when when the band came back with no vocals really, just a big mess, um, I, was, I, was, I was listening to the guide vocals, there was nothing there to be really done anything with. So Sean came out of rehab and just me and him were in um, these big studios in Linkfield in Surrey. No other, no other band members allowed to come. And we just concentrated with Tina and Chris and got our heads down and I would do guide vocals to most of the songs from Sean's lyrics and it would be done that way. And then Sunshine and Love, um, as soon as I saw the, um, just the lyrics, I started singing along to the music and um, said, oh, it'd be lovely like this. And then Tina and Chris, who quite often wanted me to take the lead on songs and I'd say, no, it's Happy Mondays, you know, but um, on that one. It, it, as Sean said as well. You know, it would only work with me singing lead on that one,
0: yeah, um, on the choruses, it's, it's and it just really, song, really works.
1: It? Yeah, but um, it is a special song, but but because of the way um, the band, the way the, the way it all gone with that album. It just nothing felt that special. I mean, I love Stinking thinking on the album. It's only looking back now that I really love the tunes as much, you know, as much because of everything that went around. It was it was the end of Happy Mondays and Factory and everything. So it was. I think it was was it the last single out on Factory Records, right. um, which is isn't something that you want. <laughs> to I be. know. Yeah, but it and it just didn't do as well as it should have done because um, there was a really terrible interview that the lads did um, with the enemy that and they were labelled all sorts. So there was just a big turn against the band and the enemy famously wrote, "Yes, please, no thanks," um, um, where we'd yes. always had great reviews up till then. So yes. that it was that was all around then. And live, it never worked. Um, it just, I think, Sean just his timing on the verses, it just never worked on the tour. But the whole tour was a mess. That tour, yes. so. Um, so I think, it was a sh- I think it was a shame because the video was nice and everything. And we did, I think it was taken from Brixton Academy. Uh, I watched it actually yesterday. Somebody um, posted it up. Yes.
0: Um, and, so did you, and, and, and can you, because I did see the band, Bizarrely, once supporting New Order, but you probably weren't in it. That was at the NEC. No, that NEC. was before me. That, and then, yes, yeah. Um, yeah, supporting yeah, New Order. And then there was Glastonbury as well on, a, on one of those kind of evenings. Yeah. Did you, can you remember much about the Glastonbury one in the
1: 90s? Well, Because 1990 and 2000, I remember the later years more because I've done Glastonbury three times now. And so I did it in 2017 with the Hacienda Classical. I did it 2000 with David Bowie watching at the side, which was amazing. And 1990, I don't remember much of it at all, to be honest, because it is 30 years ago. I know they only sang on one song. Someone was asking me that. And um, yeah, it was all, I don't remember, I don't really remember each gig unless it was filmed. And hardly it just wasn't, there's nothing on film. And that's the truth. I remember certain things about gigs. I remember um, there was a laminating machine and everyone was just blagging loads of tickets. Um, making their own tickets to get in and climbing over fences. So it was all a different time. But to be honest, we'll all have been drunk, very, very drunk and loads and loads of people. So I don't remember much about Glastonbury. And I I remember I didn't realise how big it was, Glastonbury, then as well. When we did it in 2000, I was like, I'm going to remember this one. And it's still, it was only in 2017 when I played it, where I remember every minute and it's filmed and it's beautiful and it went perfectly exactly as I wanted it to. And then we were about to play it this year and it's just been cancelled, and for the 50th anniversary, so I'm heartbroken, really, because this year, you know, I'd I'd even ordered my dress and everything, so everything's on hold now, and now Michael Leavis is saying it might not even go ahead next year, it might be the year after, so we don't know, do we? But that was, um, I was just so, I can't tell you how happy I was that 30 years after joining the Mondays, I was going to be doing Glastonbury again with them, it was, um, yeah, and we yes. just we're play we're playing so well together now as well. So it's such a shame that it's not happening.
0: Yes. So then what happens to you know, obviously the band breaks up and and how do you then sort of pick yourself up? Because obviously you had that sort of eighties period, not good. Kind of the, the kind of thank god the nineties are here, things are going well. Oh sh- bugger, they're not going Yeah, so- and
1: you know it's only three um nineteen ninety-two. So I joined in March nineteen ninety, and the band really did split up in it didn't get announced, I don't think, until ninety-three, but it was our last gig was November 1992 in Tokyo, and then it was over a week later. So November 92, I knew the band was over. So I'd only had two, two and a half years of it, and yeah. then yeah, it was just I didn't know what we were going to do. And then I was, I was thinking I was going to probably join Black Grape. I went for a few um, rehearsals with them as they were warming up because I got on well with Sean then and everything. But there were too, it's too many drugs about back then. Too many uh, people doing, <coughs> excuse me, doing different drugs that I just couldn't, I couldn't handle being around heroin or anything like that anymore
0: yes Jesus. so that so I just I
1: just got my head down for a bit and looked after my kids as I should have done they did the right thing um and then as I signed a deal with Paul Oakenfold and I just I just um yeah I just I don't know I, I, I'd never taken everything that seriously it was different then though so I just I did a bit of singing I did quite a bit of writing but um yeah yes. I didn't really know I didn't really know where I was what box and nobody knew what box to put me in because the sort of voice I've got and a lot of people want me to do more indie stuff like the Mondays and it wasn't really gonna work. Um so they put me together. I do that's when I wrote stuff with Andy Rock yeah. and things. Um but yeah, just I don't know. Um I w- I got a, a publishing deal, so which allowed me to buy a house with Warner Chapel. Um so I was quite happy writing songs and get making enough money doing that. I did a couple of adverts. Um so yeah. Yeah, but, but you, I, did, I, really, I really didn't. I don't think I was put with the right people, though, to make any big records. I turned down some records that did really well as well. What Time Is Love, KLF, went straight to number one and was number one for about nine weeks. I just didn't like it. Oh, um, was, yeah, yeah, and M People, I wasn't keen on the first tune that Mike Pickering sent me that. So I just made a few mistakes as well. I'm very, very fussy about what I sing on and said no to a lot.
0: Because there was that Italian house music that was very popular. I guess people probably started to think, "Oh, I can tell you would be amazing in that kind of kind of house stuff." But you, obviously, having your background in punk, probably
1: no, to be- no. I've been sampled a lot already. Todd Terry had sampled me loads, but I just hadn't been credited. So in 1989, I was sampled already. And in the Hacienda, my t- tunes were played with me on. There's one that's sampled on Boom Boom Pow now by Black Eyed Peas that I recorded in 1988, 89. Uh, so I was doing house music back then, but it just they sampled me and never credited me all over the years. So my voice has been well known, but not me. Um, I did one with Guru Josh where I got mentioned. But, um, yeah, it was just because of the ways there was... No, in social media, I've made everybody know it's me now. And yes. you know, and I get paid now for it, but I wasn't then at all. So for years, as people just sampled me, and they didn't need to ask me to sing. They just used the sample, and it was... It was re- it's really mean, really, what happens to singers, but um, hopefully it's getting better now because you can find out and prove it's you. You know, I get paid now more sometimes for some tunes than um, I would with, um, for a Monday's tune, probably. Well, yes, because, that, because I, mean, I wrote because I wrote the original, and um, so and now I'm working with Todd Terry. I have a song coming out with him on the eleventh of September. So a lot of these people who sampled me now, I say, come on now, do a tune with me, and and they are. You know, I've got Oliver Heldens who's got three point two million followers. We've got a big tune out now called Rave Machine. All the people that sampled me or have heard that's me sampled, they're using my voice now, which is amazing.
0: Yes, because we love Todd Terry. He did a week a track called Weekend, didn't he? Which was he very did, good. yeah.
1: But well, we've, we've, now, we've now done four tracks this year um, and he's just now said um, he's going to release one on September the 11th and then hopefully a few more. Be- but it's, it's just, he was releasing tunes with me on before, but just saying, Todd Terry. And I would said to him, I just went, I actually saw him in Amsterdam at the dance event. Come on now, Todd, you've got to stop doing it. You know, I mean, you really have. Just mention me because you're not singing. It's me. He's actually singing backing vocals on the tune we've got coming out on the 11th of September. He's singing backing vocals on my tune with him. And I love that. That's so, no, um, fantastic.
0: I mean, did you manage to sort of navigate that world? Because I know most people in bands don't do very good on the sort of publishing rights and sort of the legalities, the little admin. Did you manage to sort of get some help to sort of sort that out, to say, look.
1: I didn't with the Mondays. I used to be very much, oh, I don't care. I just want to sing with them. I was very stupid at the beginning. Now, as I say, it's, it's more, I, I, I do really well on the house songs. Um, so it's more about them because the Mondays haven't written for years. So, you know, we've written one song in the last... I don't know 15 years uh, if that might even be more and on that one I've got my pu- equal publishing so anything we'd write in the future I'd probably get equal publishing but we just um they've not written anything new for years the Mondays but um luckily my my life isn't the Mondays you know the Mondays I love them my band them I tour with them um I love the fact that we're still going but I have a great career outside of the Mondays thank goodness so um yeah yes. but with that with that though it's like 50 50 with these producers now and making sure that and my name's featured, it's very, very important. But on Step On, when I sang on Step On initially, it says guest vocals, Rowetta. So it says Happy Monday's guest vocals, Rowetta. I insisted on that and I sang at the same time on a Simply Red tune and it says additional vocals, Rowetta. I made sure my name was on right back then. Because yes. I, 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 people had already started sampling me. And I just wanted, because I've got an unusual name, I just thought, as long as people hear my name. And that used to be all that was important. Because I was honestly, I was really happy just to be living life free, not frightened of anything. And I wasn't bothered about money. And then as you get older, you start to think, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. You know, luckily my kids have got jobs, but um, I would like to buy them a car, like other people can buy their kids cars when they get to a certain age. And how come I can't? So you do start to think. Do you know what? Maybe I should start to be a bit more concerned about the money. And why should I let other people get the money and me not? You no. Know?
0: Yes. Well, absolutely. This is true. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's just can... not the most important thing to me. That's all.
0: No, but then sometimes it's nice to pay the bills. It's tricky. Exactly
1: because you know you see people and they die penniless and almost unknown if you don't watch it. I don't want to be like that, it really upsets me when people who should be, you know, I just don't like to hear that people, somebody just died recently and, and they were raising money for the funeral and it just really upsets me. And I, I remember I rang Alan McGee, I was Alan McGee's our manager, the band's manager. I went, don't, don't, even if I'm skinned, don't let anybody hear that I need money for, you know, cause it just really, really upsets me because I do believe in just, you know, live your life and enjoy it. And if somebody needs something, you give it them if you can. Um, I don't want to just ha- die with a load of savings for no reason or a big house I don't need. Um, yes. I'd rather do do something, um, enjoy it and make sure that everybody around me is all right. But, um, yeah, but there's a limit, you know, to... Um, I don't want people to think, poor, you know, poor her when I, no. I pass away. But know? have you
0: also become something of a role model from, you know, from your background and life and what you've been through and what you've achieved? Yeah,
1: definitely. And I do I do as much as I can... In Manchester, I, I really do. Um, I'm very, very lucky. The Pankhurst Centre, Emmeline Pankhurst, uh, founded the Suffragettes. Um, so, um, see, I'm, I'm, um, I'm uh, what, what do you call? It? I'm, um, I'm on the panel of the uh, the Pankhurst Centre. I can't think what the word Did is.
0: You? Hey. I, I say committee, but that. No, and
1: yes, no, no. Like I'm an honorary. I can't oh, think what the word is. Kind of um. I'm ambassador, I'm ambassadors, I'm an an ambassador to the Pankhurst Centre, but I'm not, I'm like an ambassador when we go for our meetings, I'm probably the only one who's not, um, who really loves men and admits it, you know, in meetings and and we should have we should have the odd man come in and stuff, which isn't. Oh, I'm just very, very much um, that, and I don't like quite often they say, and we've been treated like this because we're women. And quite often it isn't because we're women. It's not always because we're women. It is sometimes. But if you always say it's because we're women and that we can't get anywhere, I say, well, you can. I'm Jewish. I'm black. I'm a woman. I'm a battered wife. I'm a this. And I'm doing all right. Because I haven't sat there saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, and poor me. Of course, it's obvious I've not had it as easy as quite a lot of people, but I don't sit and dwell on it. You know, you just get on with it and try and help others. I just try and do something about it rather than moan about it so much. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Try and change it rather than, um, and then go, look at me, I'm a success. And then you do, I get people all the time saying what an inspiration, what a role model I am. Um, But quite often it's because I don't sit and moan. I just say, look at me now rather
0: than look at me then, you yes. know. And but I also, be... it's kind of interesting, because one of the things that I sort of, I suppose, have come across and done, because of, you know, life does have its ups and downs and horrendous moments, but sometimes, and this is quite a tricky one, taking responsibility for some of the choices I, this is for me, taking responsibility for some of the choices I've made, and then owning the consequences, rather than feeling like the victim. Because I think if if one feels like the victim, you can then sort of, Kind of get the sympathy for, and you don't really want sympathy. You just want to want to have kind of empathy and respect. But yeah. it's but it's kind of difficult because at the same time, you know, it's a very really odd one to do. It is I-
1: difficult, but it's it's obvious that some people are victims. It's obvious I am, and it's obvious that most people in certain situations are victims. But you can't help yourself if you're just a victim. You have to find out what you can do next you know how you how you can how you can change it what you can do with i I thought i left with nothing how am i going to start again what am i going to do it's no it's no good being a victim because i would have never moved i would have probably met somebody exactly the same as my ex-husband and carried on again and i've decided to just try and move on as if that's not happened not be bitter not look back not blame anybody else there's no point not walk around with hatred for anybody and and also i don't every day want to help other battered women because that brings me down also when I've tried to help other causes because people say oh can you help us with this charity and that charity and this I can't do it all the time because it completely puts me really it makes me feel like a victim again it makes me feel dreadful again and it stops me from doing anything positive positive. Um, so I've had to really be careful about saying yes to ev- helping everybody all the time and worried what they'll think of me because it it does no good to anybody you know it, it can bring you down so I do as much as I can when I can but um also when I can't and because it's bad for me I just say no um, yes. And and I found that very very hard but, and that is admitting to myself that I am a bit of a victim, you know, and I am a survivor, and you can do that, but I only want to do it occasionally and then yeah. just move on.
0: But I think sometimes you can, you know, it's kind of as if I've noticed patterns that until I take responsibility, that pattern keeps getting repeated until oh, I definitely. think, actually, I made the choice to be friends with that person, which is sometimes a bit tricky, and you think, actually, that is true, I did, and then that's happened, and if I'm not careful, I'm just going to do it again
1: and again yeah. until,
0: until I go... Okay, I'll take responsibility because actually I made a choice for that okay I didn't want that next thing to happen but I had to sort of and then oh you have
1: to always take responsibility because I was saying I am a strong woman I'm not that strong really because nobody's that strong I'm strong I do take responsibility because people say why do why would you stay for five years and that is I hate that people shouldn't say that I would never say that to another woman or Um,
0: horrendous. but
1: that's what people say things like that because they say you should have done that you had all these opportunities nobody knows what the world was like then either the police took me the police took me to a woman aid refuge but also there's the fear of what that would be is and had children to take them into a women's aid refuge that could have messed my children up you know it's, it's a really big decision to make but at the end of the day you do have to think Rowetta you need to stop saying I love him uh, you know because that's my fault um but it's just really hard I was only a kid so yeah, I, don't, God. I don't do I don't do the blame thing that much but um certainly now if um a lot of a lot of um a lot of things that happen not a lot goes wrong if you take if you take responsibility for it and surround yourself with the right people um i've i've been guilty of um, uh, going around with people um, that I think i need and um, you don't need any, if you need anybody, then you're probably in a bad way. You probably don't need them. And i much true. better off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's the ones who are just there that just, you know yeah, I And
0: also, I think it's good to be really kind to your younger self, to think, well, exactly. you did the best and, you know, you survived it and you know and not to well, sort of doing
1: a brush bru- over I didn't have really I wasn't really parented right I don't want to slug my mum off but she, I'm sure she'd admit you know she's tried she tried her best in later years to help me with the kids because when I was young I didn't really have any parents so that it's difficult but I'm not complaining because I, I have had a very very exciting interest in life it's just I would have rather had more of a quiet one <laughs> yeah, in a lot of ways really I but um but, yeah, at least... but, but it does it, it it means I sing with emotion <laughs> if you look at anything positive I think a lot of um, the, how I sing is because of that and I think a lot of the passion I put into the things I do to help people when I do it, I do it quietly and I do it I don't do I don't do any marathons and I don't walk for anybody but I really do lots of stuff in and around Manchester for people who can't do it for themselves and I'm proud of that
0: yes and then you know I mean you do, obviously you've got phenomenal Happening at the moment and your solo work, but what was it like when you had that twenty fifth anniversary of getting back together with the Mondays? Did that um, did that feel like quite a moment in the process?
1: Well, it was two thousand and twelve, and I just didn't think we'd ever get in the same room together again. And it was I was thinking when I was I was speaking to a couple of the band, are you going? And they were like, Yeah, are you? And I'm going. Well, I will if that one does. And, but I can't imagine that one. Because basically over the years, we'd all fallen out with Sean in some way or another. Um, and so some of them, they'd, I'd not spoken to Sean for 12 years. And yet there was a couple in the band that hadn't spoken to him for 18, 19 years. So it's like, well, if those two... You know, because I have performed with Sean before in the past. But, um yeah, no, 12, 12 years and it was really bad when me and Sean fell out. So you just don't think you'll get over it. But I'm so glad we did. We had this meeting at the, a big hotel in Manchester. And, um yeah, wait, I waited in the car. It was the last running because I made sure everybody had gone in the room. And um it's just we've never looked back. We, we did it for one tour because the Stone Roses had such a successful comeback and um, we were offered one tour of arenas and I thought that would be it but it was so brilliant and then and Sean literally comes on stage he turns up two minutes before the gig comes on stage and by the time I come off stage he's gone so you can't argue it's brilliant and I thought, <laughs> wow there are no arguments because you don't see him off stage and actually we, we have met, like I do see him about now sometimes for interviews and stuff we do tv shows and we get on fine now and it's great yeah. Um, yeah, I think in the past we just spent far too long together, everybody, and everybody was on different drugs, highs, egos, all sorts. So it just it was just too much. But now it's fantastic. Only one original member has left, the keyboard player, and he left after the first tour. So um since 2012, so that's eight years we've we've been back together. We've just done a thirty-day tour. And we loved it. And we're still all getting along. And that's um, yeah. amazing. I remember,
0: really. I remember with bands getting together, there was a documentary that they love all this. And some of it goes well and some of it doesn't. But I remember that was the bass, no, the drummer for the, the police. And he he, everyone was having a great time apart from him and Sting, you yeah. know, two of the three members, and he said... I know there's only
1: three of them as well, I know,
0: but they were really not, and they were thinking, you know, this is not good. So they had band therapy, you know, they sat down and explained what what it was like for each other, and it kind of... And he didn't realise that all the comments he made... Really went straight to Sting, you know. He really got upset, but he didn't say anything. And he said, "Oh God, I didn't realise all those comments were going straight at you." And you know, he was. And I suppose they just took that moment to think, "Oh, yeah." But in our
1: band, and the worst thing is, the brothers, two brothers, the Riders, and they know exactly what they're saying to each other, and it is awful. And it continues. It's still not so good now that part. But because we don't spend time together off stage, it stays on stage or not mentioned. But it's always going to be there but when those that's the only bit when those comments start swinging across the stage and sean's got a microphone paul Ryder hasn't it's bad you know it's um, it's it's brothers and it's part of the band and i know the audience might like it but if you hear what they're saying it's not really not nice and it's um you know it's it's the most they say you know it's just because because they know each other so well the brothers they know how to really get under each other's skins um but Sean used to do that with all of us really and it got ended up getting nasty. But yeah, the brothers will probably always continue um, a little bit, but because of the, the drugs aren't there and yeah, and, and they, we don't we don't all go on the same bus together anymore. I travel with a lot of the boys. Um Bez and Sean travel separately, and I quite often travel with Bez instead, but it, it just works out well because and we're all on time. And we enjoy talking about the gigs after the gigs, which never happened before. After the gigs in the past, it would just be like, let's get on it. Let's continue the party. And then you don't know what time we're in next, which city we're in next, whether it was an American tour, we could do seven weeks. I haven't got a clue where we are, what we're doing next. Now it's completely different. We look forward to going to wherever we're going to next. Yes. sometimes sometimes not Norwich because it's, it's there's no sign to Norwich until so you get really near we have to Norwich I, I like we always play Norwich actually I'm sorry it's a great crowd
0: it's a, yeah, the UEA the UEA isn't it yeah exactly. I mean do you want, I mean because a lot of the people I mean touring is often quite hard for a lot of bands and I know from a lot of British bands they when they do America it often finishes finishes them off how do you how do you and how have you cope with doing American tours
1: well, I always have my own room, which i I have that space I don't like people coming in my room before a gig, so I usually have a few hours on my own, and that's what I need i just I need quiet Bez likes loads of people backstage i- I like none backstage before a gig um because if you're travelling with a load of boys as well, and when you're sleeping on a bus with boys, I'm used to them, and they are like family. But at the end of the day, I'm a girl, and I do like that space. If we don't get that space, that's when I, I really get upset and start to go, I want to go home, really, because you, you just do as a girl, I think. But I enjoy it. I've always loved that tour life. I love waking up in a new city. Um, I find it exciting. I never and I never used to go and look, look around a city, like the boys would say... Oh, we're in florida do you want to come somewhere no i can't think of anything worse i just want to chill and you know and probably i don't know it's just never i've never used to like i wish i had now i wish i'd gone and looked around the places but no I, i always focus on the gig and it's all about you know getting excited for the gig i'd like to do my sound checks i'm very professional really even if i'm a party girl um i do like to make sure i'm yeah, I, well, and also got my voice. I hate letting fans down because I've been up all night now. So yes. Yeah, no, it's, it's just always suited me, though, that whole, whole tour thing. I feel so at home on a tour bus where some people don't. Um, I just like to have a bath. As long as I can have a day room to go and have a bath um, when I get to the place, I'm happy being on a tour bus. I like sleeping on the tour bunks. I like sitting up and sitting up with the boys whoever's up late and then you know until you just have an, I'll have one more drink and then go to bed and then waking up in a new city when you open your curtains and um, I love it now as well because we've got our camera phones we can take a photo of from our bunk of the <laughs> venue and stuff no it's, it's just I would have loved to have done America like doing America when we toured America in um, 1990, 1991 it would have been fantastic to, to open your curtains and take pictures of all these yes. things and all the groupies and all this lot That you know it's not not like that now so I don't think we'll ever talk American now. No. Um, but it's, it's
0: quite interesting because because obviously keeping, you know, like you know, mod, you know, I suppose pop music from 63 with the the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. I mean it's kind of relatively new, but keeping the legacy of bands going is quite interesting, isn't it? And so, you know, coming back and touring again and, and sort of reissuing albums is kind of quite important because otherwise I'm sure some bands will eventually get quite forgotten unless they make a musical of the musical of the you know, like meat Loaf, well we,
1: we well we've had that 24-hour party people i was in that film i played myself yeah but um when tony wilson was still alive as well but it, it did get a lot of new fans to like the various bands new order um joy division and the mondays etc and um i love being part of that whole film because um it, it was a comedy but it's at least the music got heard around the world and it was up for a palm door at can and we went and played in Cannes. And that, you know, it's, it's really great that uh, um, the whole world was looking at our city, Manchester for music and looking at our bands, and, you know, we were attracting quite big names to come and they wanted to be in the film. And Michael a great director directed it. So um, I love that. But um, I just love the fact, I don't think we thought we'd still be going because at the end of the day, we're doing a greatest hits, hits tour because we're not doing any new stuff. So there's only so much you can do. But we did do the Bummed album with me on, which, as I said, which was different. And then we did Pills and Thrills. So we can keep doing like 30th, 25th anniversaries and stuff, but there is going to be a limit. And I think it's probably going to be coming to an end soon for a few years. Sean likes to take a couple of years off from each. Uh, he goes and does his black grape then. But right. this whole pandemic has um, turned it all. So I think this year we would have been doing Glastonbury, Isle of White probably a little tour, just probably four arenas or something, and then a few other festivals, and that would have probably been it for a couple of years. Uh, but now, um, fingers crossed, it's all back next year. Yes. Um, but we, because, we just don't know.
0: Because I, I did an interview with the, um, Woody Woodmancy, it was with David Bowie, and when he and Tony Visconti get a band together called Holy Holy to do the work of David Bowie, he just... Well, and I I I know said, oh, how, how long does it take to rehearse? And he said, Oh, we only meet the day before... You know, because yeah. we know the music so well. How do how quickly do the Mondays get together and rehearse to get up to speed?
1: Well, me and she, well, Sean doesn't really come at all. He just um, has has a sing-along at home. So if any arrangements are changed, he really, he reads from an autocue now. I think most people know anyway. So he just sings what's on the autocue when it comes in. I like to go to rehearsals for usually two days when we've got a new tour coming up. Or if there are any arrangements new arrangements, I get sent them way before so they can rehearse. And really the, the drummer, Gary, he likes to rehearse the most. So he comes from Canada, uh, the bass player comes from LA. So it's usually we get a week's rehearsal, sometimes it's only four days, but yeah, Gary would like as long as possible. And then, um, yeah, but usually it's, it's true. We, we know all the stuff now. So unless there's any massive arrangements, it's just what they try to do, but it's usually done at home though, do like change the introductions. Um, Add some bits and um, do some mashups with other songs, maybe a Rolling Stones song put in somewhere. You know, I'll sing odd lines from a Bowie song, and it's we do stuff like that. And but you can do a lot of that at home. I mean, I rehearse at home thoroughly for weeks beforehand with the backing tracks i make sure i've got the backing tracks for the musical director so it's all very professional but yeah we don't need to be in, in um, a rehearsal room for we used to be in like for seven weeks to do a three-week tour it's stupid <laughs> um, but a lot of songs would get written that way now nothing gets written but um yes. yeah does, it, I, does think, it, I think i think sorry go on
0: no i was just sorry i was just going does it feel a bit like a blessing to have this kind of ability to to almost not put right what happened after, yes, please, but just so that the story didn't end there, where it's all a bit like, oh, yeah, that, rather than going, actually, we've processed some of that, and now it feels oh, definitely,
1: like... but it only needed that first tour to do that the, in 2012, because we did the biggest arenas in the country, Wembley and um, Manchester Evening News Arena. We did just did the biggest arenas. Um, so if we did maybe six or seven shows, that's all we needed to do to put that to bed with the original lineup. And then it was great. But we've gone on and done so much more. We never toured Australia, the original lineup until February of last year. And it was amazing. The fans have waited. We've cancelled three tours um, for whatever reason. The last tour that was cancelled was over money, I think, and it was cancelled. We all had our visas. We were all ready to go. I was packed. And so we, we, 10 days before the, the tour got cancelled. And then because I do the Happy Mondays Facebook page, I'm getting all these abusive... Uh, Messages from people who think it's the band that have cancelled the tour with Days to Go, you know, where people have booked hotels and travel. I would never do that as a fan, I would never ever cancel something with Days to Go because I know a lot of the time you can't get your money back for the travel or the hotels because you, I would never do that. It's always promoters or managers that do that, and it's got nothing to do with us. Um, so we were all so couldn't wait to go, so this time. And um, we said, we'll do this, we'll do this Australian New Zealand tour, but it can't get cancelled. Even if the money goes down or tickets didn't sell, we're doing it. And it sold out almost everywhere and it was fantastic. And it was, it. it was just the most beautiful thing. And myself and Bez were doing after parties as well. And so we'd be coming off stage at four, me and Bez, and then going to get a flight at six. I think it was just, I think we did, um, we did something like 12 shows in 14 days. It was like, it was mad, but um it was the best best thing it was brilliant for us wow. at the after 30 years and then to say thank you to the australian and new zealand fans and everybody came out Every, i was like it was just brilliant it was like the 90s because everywhere was sold out and you've got all these fans with the t-shirts on from back in the day and a lot of them they look great a lot of them are from the uk that you know they've gone in, gone over there to live and they just never thought they could bring the kids to seals as well. You've got kids in the audience, so um, I love that. I really love that tour.
0: On the just on briefly, on this, this on touring because I know a lot of people, especially in the UK, touring in Europe is really important. And the German, you know, market well, not—that sounds really cynical—but the German audience is is kind of really important, and they're really loyal. How did you find going through Europe and going around Europe?
1: Well, I loved it. and just the whole of Europe it's, it's just I love a different audience every night and the different fans and I love I really get a buzz off fans and um so I loved traveling Europe the, what, what I was upset about uh, this time around we've had a lot of European dates cancelled we had a European tour cancelled again because that change of management and stuff I would have liked to have done it again with with this line you know with our, our new band our same band the original lineup rather um but yeah we know we had a European tour cancelled and I never know why again. So we've only done Places, we've done Ibiza, we've done Mallorca, we've done Portugal, we've just done the odd festival. And it's a shame, I think, because I just, I love, I go to see other bands in Europe. I've sung with Peter Hook in, um, in Spain and uh, various places. Um, so it's, it's just a shame, because I would love to have gone with the Mondays at, as we did Australia. I mean, this time yet, you never know, but the way the world is now, I can't see. I just can't see a story again at the moment, unfortunately, but um, you just can't see a, a rammed gig anymore. I can't I can't envision, you know, a, like a packed out crowd. We're playing Amsterdam on the 9th of January. That was the first gig that got cancelled, was our um, a, a gig in March, the 14th of March. We were po- supposed to play at the Paradiso in Amsterdam. I was so looking forward to it because I played there with the band in 1990. So to play the Paradiso, quite a well-known um, venue in Amsterdam, where we have so many great fans as well, would have been amazing. And it was the first to be cancelled. So now it will be our first one back, I think, on the 9th of January. And I pray it will be... I can't see them all happening, but it yes. could. you know. But it's like it's sold out. What will they do? Tell half of them they can't come. You know, It's, it's, it's frightening.
0: It's frightening. That, it is well, I don't know
1: how... It, you know, they're not going to find a virus by then, are they? So... The virus mm. we're going to find a virus, They're not going to find a vaccine, <laughs> a vaccine. they'll probably yeah. find a few more viruses, yeah, but it's, yeah it's just it's just it's a scary world because the idea that we're not going to work as we did before again, I mean I'm so happy that I'm not in a young band now because you just don't know if you'll ever get to do what we got to do. Um, yes. it might all be outdoor, even outdoor ones are talking about them not happening, but you know we must let music carry on, we must have gigs again, we must. <laughs>
0: I think otherwise I mean without culture where are we so look what would, if if you could I mean it's always a tricky one but if you could say something said something to your kind of like 16 18 year old self who was starting out on that enjoyable journey of life I just wondered if you could have just whispered one thing say, oh look by the way, I'll just give you some hot top <laughs> top advice for some old person um not that old but you know what I mean you know I'll just, just do, you, do this, you know, I don't
1: know. Do, you know. do you know why you can't? Because the world is so different with the technology now. Yes. I would love to have told myself how much, like now I write songs. Of, during lockdown, the best thing's been, I've just done collaborations with people that I may never meet. People that I dreamed of working with. Contact me through social media or email me. I'd love to work with you, Roetta. Kenny Dope, who I love, I've just done a tune with. And he just said, my dog passed away and I got a message that morning. Can Roetta do a vocal for Kenny Dope? And I was mourning my loss of my dog and I went and did it because it's Kenny Dope. You couldn't have got that when I was 16. You can't write with people and collaborate you and rehearse with people, like Zoom meetings and all that lot. It's just so much easier now. And like me telling everyone this is who that's my voice on that record, I can do that now through social media. As a performer and a writer, it's just amazing. But back then it's just you had to do it a certain way. You had to it's completely different. So you could never have told, you could never have told um, anybody back then how the world was going to be. I mean, it's like telling somebody last year what was going to happen this year. Um, You couldn't. And I couldn't have said to someone it's going to be okay because um, I wasn't that ambitious. I just wanted to be happy. And I would, I didn't even mind. I didn't know how well I'd do as a singer. And then yet people don't know who you are. I didn't know if it'd bother me. It only bothered me when I realised that people don't know it's or, the, or people have said there's a song called Show Me Love on, on the beginning and people think it's somebody else, Robin S, at the beginning of the song and it's me. And when you walk into someone, you have to say that's me on that. It's not when they announce it as somebody else or it's. I didn't realise it'd bother me as much as it did, but it does. And now that I'm recognised for it, it feels so good yes, uh, to say absolutely. I'm getting I'm getting people who I've dreamed of working with asking to work with me that's amazing Listen. even if he, like Terry Hall from the specials I've always wanted to work with him and I know now I've got the guts to say Terry's been through quite a few of our gigs as well I want to sing this song with you he's like hey that's a great idea you know and it's it's just it's mad I would never have had the confidence to do that and because of lockdown it's not going to be as there's been stuff going on because he, he was finishing his album and stuff first and then we we're going to do it but um I need to say it again, Terry, when are we gonna do it? I've just worked with Paul Weller on a track that's amazing, with Gary Cobain, who's fantastic. Um the Amorphous Androgynous. And um, when it comes out, check it out. It's got Steve Praddock on guitar, Noel Gallagher on drums and bass, Kate Bush's nephew's playing violin. But um that's me and Paul Weller on vocals, and that's very special. Oh God, what's the song? It's not out yet, but hopefully it will come out. It's called it's called Mantra. It's called Crossing Over. Um, stroke mantra mm. and Gary Cobain again all this lockdown he was hoping it would come out in the spring and as we started it three years ago and it's the most amazing piece it's like the Beatles Tomorrow Never Knows it's fantastic and so I'm very very excited about that but in, you know I was dying for that to come out and I still am but it's like it's like a dream for me that um, you know I've worked with Gary Cobain now on quite a lot of stuff Future Sound of London his uh, Papua New Guinea is amazing and, um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to his stuff because it's so experimental and wonderful and huge. And, yeah, it's, wait till you hear that.
0: Yes, I, I definitely will. Do you, I keep I not really-
1: mentioning it because I'm like, is it going to come out? But it's like nowadays, you can't, I don't know when anything's coming out. He says Do- he doesn't know when the right time would be.
0: Do you sort of now feel, because when you mention people like Paul Weller and, and various, all those other people you just mentioned, which my brain's now forgotten. but you know. I've
1: got loads, I know I've, there's loads of people I've worked with that I've always wanted to work with. And I, I don't, when I go, oh, I forgot that one. I, was, I did an interview with DJ Mag and I was forgetting who I'd worked with. But it's like, I'm not really a name dropper no. that way. But um it's just, I'm just saying um how amazing it is for someone like me to be working with all these people. It's a dream to me. Um, all of them, and, and but I don't like saying that Paul Weller's is more important than working with anybody else. Oh know, God, no! But it's quite always, interesting
0: because because I just a I minute, my
1: dogs bite me. Stop it! So I've got a little puppy. Sit there.
0: Yeah, just just. just. Yeah, dog's biking, not good. No,
1: it, no, she, no, he doesn't, bite. he's a puppy, he's weeks old, <laughs> he's just he's just starting to nip, sorry. Go oh, on. how
0: sweet. No, but I was just thinking it was quite interesting that, that you know, I still sometimes look at those artists that you mentioned, just in terms of thinking, oh, that's really funny now, that, that now they're part of the establishment. I mean, they probably yeah. have now for a while, but it's kind of interesting that move from just like being the young, angry kids on top of the pops in the 70s and 80s, to now being the sort of... Not the statesman, but you know, but they are
1: really everybody, everybody in even bands like Oasis that have been going for years, they look up to Paul Weller. You know, it's like it's it is a bit weird because even bands that Young bands now they look, they'd look up to like Noel Gallagher to work with, and yet Noel Gallagher would work, look up to Paul Wellers. It, it, it is a bit weird, it just means we're really old. Really old. <laughs> but
0: <laughs> good that you've, you've got your voice, which is like the most important thing. And that's it's what...
1: amazing, and I get like all these new, young, young little kids, and they want to work with Ian Brown and your Paul Wellers and stuff. And then you go, Is there any chance you'd sing on our song? And it's like, It's lovely that you asked, I can't sing on everybody's song. I'm not, <laughs> I don't, I'm, well, I always say to them, Send, send me your song. You never know. If I love the song, I might sing on it. I won't do backing vocals, but I might write myself a little section. And, yes. um, yeah, you never know. It might be a big hit like Step On, because that's what the dream is for some of these bands. But um, it's not a magic one. Get get somebody to sing on it and it will be a hit. The world's not like that. But you've got a better chance with me on than not. That's what I say. This
0: is true. Well,
1: look, <laughs> You've this got to is... big yourself up anyway, haven't you?
0: Yes, and have good Junkies. lungs. Have good luck. Don't yeah. smoke. That's
1: the main thing. No, I d- No, I don't.
0: There you go. God, I sound like my mum. Yes, and that's the end of the interview. Thank you for listening, and a huge thank you to Rowetta for giving me the time for that interview. Um, Hugely appreciative. Anyway, this has been David Easton, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do at C86 show. Also, these have all been archived and you can find those on the world that is iTunes, Spotify and Podbeam, Just do C86 show. It's all there and much, much more. Anyway, I'm going to say goodbye. Have a great week. Stay safe and uh, tune in for more thrills, spills, belly aches. Mm, but that was just a bit corny.